Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. Good morning, everyone. Um, I asked for us to replay that clip again, which we've played before, because I remember that when we played it last time, Debbie Unwin particularly liked it because she said, I often feel like that last one who can't quite get out of the, the, the pond, but yet is going to make it anyway. And I wanted to play that really as a, a prayer for Debbie this morning because she is in hospital. She's really quite poorly and she's being looked after. But I wanted to sort of play that to say, we're with you. And I believe she can get out of the pond and um, recover in a way that she may never have recovered before. And so if you're also someone that needs rest, recovery, to get out of the pond you're in, um, I believe you're going to make it. Um, There's something that I've heard about recently called the Stockdale Paradox. And it's based on a guy called Jim Stockdale, who was the highest ranking US military officer in a prisoner of war camp during the Vietnam War. And he got stuck in, in the most terrible situation that he wasn't getting out of. But he'd read some stuff before he went in that he felt gave him a mindset. And what he found was that he got extremely frustrated with the other people who were in the prisoner of war camp. He got extremely frustrated with the optimists because the optimists kept saying, yeah, we're going to be out by Christmas, don't worry. We'll be out by Christmas. Um, and then, of course, Christmas would come round and... They weren't out by Christmas. And then they'd be like, we'll be out by Easter. It'll be all right by Easter. And it wasn't over by Christmas or by Easter. And it actually took them eight years to get out of that experience. And those optimists found themselves really lurching from this unfounded hope because they'd set themselves an ending to dashing disappointment every time it didn't work out. And in fact, most of them didn't make it out because, you know, they died of broken hearts because you can't keep going through that um, experience. So that constant roller coaster meant that they lost hope and that disappointment and the mixed expectation was all too much. Um, their hope was short term and it was unrealistic because they weren't prepared to face the brutal facts of what they had in front of them and it was a blind optimism. Now he said the pessimists didn't fare any better because <laughs> they were never getting out. They were all despair and hopelessness from day one. But Stockdale, however, he embraced the brutal fact that they were not going to get out by Christmas or by any Christmas soon, but he absolutely held in his heart that they would get out at some point. And that sustained him in the now to not set an ending on it or a date on it or an outcome or a point, but to just say, I'm going to get out 
but today I'm in. And to do then what that day required of him. And he took that longer term view as he confronted the brutal facts of his situation, but weighed them up and then stopped living with a marked ending, just with a sense that at some point this part would end however far away that was. It was the paradox of his facts versus his faith. So for Debbie, for us, the problems we're trying to resolve were maybe not over by Christmas and they maybe won't be over by Easter. And they might not even be over by next Christmas next Easter. But right now, we have something that can sustain us in the paradoxes of the facts that we have, but the hope that we equally have. And you're going to hear from both Claire and Joel this morning. And I just would encourage you to listen because whatever paradoxes you're facing in life between what you want to believe and what you see I believe there's going to be something to help you this morning so please do listen and enjoy so how was your morning routine did you have your Buddha bowl I don't actually even know what that is to be fair or a boucle sofa but hey I know it was unlikely to be the first scenario we heard in that soundbite and that's kind of my point of the talk this morning most of us have a very different view of what makes a peaceful life. And most of us, sorry, I'm not used to this, would experience very differing stresses and routines. But isn't it funny how we heard in the soundbite, we can even make something that's supposed to work for our good, a law or a rule or a structure that we must adhere to to feel better. But sure, it works for a while, but you know, as we heard, daily life seeps in and those things we deemed vital to our mental health then kind of sinks it to the background. Then the very thing that was there for our good then becomes an added anxiety to our life and yet another thing to fit in, another thing to fit in. The dualistic thinking slips in and we start to see life in the good and bad compartments. This is good for me, this is bad for me. But what about when life is just being life? That radical acceptance of what life is. Circumstances don't go away after all. And I think by now, most of us have sussed that. And the resistance comes, the resistance and the anxiety, doesn't it? And we can't then muster up the effort to take that morning walk or to make time to sit in that Zen state. And then we feel bad and we get anxious and stressed. And it's kind of counterproductive. And anxiety is a word used a lot these days, I find. Um, and actually, what it is, it's a recognition of a physical response to stress and to unknown things. I've spoken before about how the juggle and the mental load can be very demanding, but is it just a case of a little time out? As it said in the soundbite, it's no big scoop that mindfulness, meditation, writing things down, etc., can benefit us. We know that. But when we make it something that doesn't fit with our life and it becomes a, we're trying to make a big change or we're trying to transform ourselves in that way, then typically it isn't really sustainable. But what is sustainable though? Anxiety is a very real emotion that manifests itself physically. We feel it. That lump in your throat or the uncomfortable gut wrench. It's a physical manifestation of your anxiety. And I know, like, a bit of a disclaimer, there can be extreme anxiety or disorders and other things. And that's not necessarily what I'm talking about this morning. I mean, this is where it starts. But 
that, I kind of feel like that's another topic, and I'm talking more about this day-to-day -day stuff. Um, I've come to believe that anxiety can spur us on and be a guide. Athletes refer to it as being pumped. At certain level, if you have chosen to live a certain life, having kids, a demanding job, a busy social life, running a business, taking A-levels, buying a house, then a level of anxiety is expected. Anxiety is the price of freedom, right? We've heard that before. So in our freedom, we choose a path, and with that can come anxiety. The truth is we can't escape it, and there's a level of expectation that will go hand in hand with anxiety. And maybe, and yeah, I'm suggesting this, fighting against it and denying it actually doesn't help. That resistance just creates more anxieties and more problems. And adding more rules to how we can squash it can actually sometimes just add to it. Can we find mindfulness and awareness within it? Is our meditation about looking within and having a conversation with our anxiety in the moment a renewing? What is your anxiety telling you? Anxiety, in all honesty, is response to a past or future event that doesn't exist. It's rooted in the unknown. We bring it into our now reality and make it a present experience. But it's usually pretty telling and often is a reaction or a trigger to an experience, whether it's happened or not. But maybe there's a feeling attached to that anxiety and it's actually exposing something to us that we're trying to kind of press down. Is it actually anger rising up after a conflict or sadness from a hurt we've had? Is it fear? Suppressing anxiety could be suppressing a feeling that's trying to tell us something. Eradicating its existence won't help you entirely. We can't vilify a whole pool of emotions. Fear, anxiety, sadness. Anger, for example, can actually sometimes energize you and motivate you in some scenarios. Your fear could be letting you know something too. And your sadness, that we heard last week from Danny with the, the lovely Inside Out clip, you know, it could be leading you to joy and peace. It can be a resolve. Anxiety is part of the whole of the human experience of being wholly human. The paradox, as Jenny said just a minute ago, of feeling motivated, for example, of me this morning to speak on stage, but there's anxieties that go hand in hand with that. But it still drives me to come up here and do this because I know there's also good in it. Like the flow theory I talked about once, finding the right balance of challenge, the risk versus the task. Anxiety can dwell here. The light and shade of daily existence. You can be happy, but slightly anxious. You know, I could be joining, for example, a boat ride with my kids, but be slightly anxious that they might fall in. The issue is, as I said in my disclaimer, if we get stuck in these feelings and they dominate, extreme anxiety can come into it. And this is where it can start. And like I said, that's another topic, but sometimes that's rooted in more like grief and trauma. And I think that's a bit of a different talk. And I suggest maybe going back to listen to my message about grief that I did. But the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation, change, all this stuff that we say we want comes from renewing our minds. Jesus understood that transformation came from within. He was about inwardly finding Christ awareness 
talking with his anxieties, his stresses, his daily pressures, having an inner dialogue with those things and learning a renewed mind. And it took time. The transformation process is not quick. It's a long process of changing little things as they arise. To say you would need to enjoy pleasure and joy all the time and avoid the bad stuff is actually a dangerous place. It's unrealistic. When Danny talked last week about how there was a narrative taught to him about an enemy making him feel that way and that there was an outside answer to it all, this is very commonplace narrative within the church. Even in my lifetime, when I was here, I was party to those beliefs. But acknowledging the stuff that inevitably comes up in us, seeing the what is and adding some new thinking slowly helps you start to handle things from within. Let anxiety be your guide. Don't overpressurize yourself to change everything. Anxiety exposes the small changes that need to happen, the stepping stones of change and transformation. Then in time, we can look back in reflection and notice a big change, a transformation has taken place. And I'm not sure it's got an end point either, as Jenny pointed out this morning. Getting life done isn't the goal. It's a daily exercise of the mind to live in the what is and let the anxieties exposed tell us what we're feeling. Let your brain think about the thoughts you're having. Step back and look at it from a different awareness. If you're having a physical emotion response, ask yourself what that is and why you're reacting that way. This is something we can do as we go through our day and it doesn't have to be a one-a-day one morning routine thing. It's, it's something that you can just kind of process through all your issues. It's about experiencing the joy of exploring life. Rather than firefighting through anxiety and trying to manage and control it, don't we? we're always trying to put out fires and sort of resist it and control it. And that's kind of a bit of an avoidance. We have to maybe learn to move into the space where the fire is. Is it an enemy? Or can it bring you warmth, comfort, light? If you do believe in a saviour, then maybe that's it. The fourth man in the furnace that we learn in the book of Daniel. This sort of life can come from fire. So my takeaway for you this morning from this is let anxiety have a presence in your life and lean into it. Don't let it take over, but be its friend and hold its hand and let it tell you what's up. Have a meaningful dialogue with it and start a new way of thinking for a renewed mind and a transformed life. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Well, okay. I think it's interesting that Jenny would touch on the optimism and pessimism thing at the beginning, and everything that Claire said has kind of led us to this, this point, really. Uh, the video really does explain beautifully the process of learned helplessness, but um, I thought I'd talk for a few minutes. It's been something that I've been aware of in my life for, for many years now, um, and I'll get onto that in a little bit, but Learned helplessness can be observed in both animals and humans when they have been conditioned to expect pain or suffering with the belief there is zero way to escape it, even if there is. When we practice the belief that we have no control over our lives or what happens to us, you begin to act as though you are helpless. Now, the reason isn't just called, sorry, the reason it isn't just called helplessness is very important. 
Um, and the reason why I say that, it isn't an innate trait that you're born with. Um, helplessness is a concept, uh, but the reason why it's not just called helpless as a standalone word is because that can kind of sound as if it's just a trait that, well, it's just part of who you are and it's inbuilt. It's called learned helplessness precisely because it is learned behavior caused by habitual focus on certain experiences causing us to perceive that we have no control over them. Let me just say that again. It is called learned helplessness precisely because it is learned behavior caused by habitual focus on certain experiences causing us to perceive that we have no control over them. The video showed that beautifully. Now, I became aware of this particular psychological phenomenon a few years back when Chris, a.k.a. Mum, sent, <laughs> sent me an article as a particular point in my life um, whereby we realised that this is, was exactly what I was experiencing. Um, now, learned helplessness can come from a, from a personal place or it can also be something that is that happens because of external forces, you know, so I don't want you to just think it's just primarily your own individual life. There can be many aspects to why, you know, societal, group, all of these different things can contribute. Now, just on a personal level, um, I went through quite a few experiences many years back um, that pushed me to including my upbringing within the church and, you know, a lot of you will, the journey that we've walked, but also on a personal level, that made me shape my beliefs and my perceptions about the world based on those very specific experiences that I was justified in feeling what I felt because they were very real. But then what happened was they began to permeate every single aspect of my life. And I would say, being very upfront with you, I am probably more anxious and insecure now than I've ever been in my life. Paradoxically, I know more than I've ever known I understand and grasp more than I've ever known, but yet I find that somehow that learned helplessness, that sense of allowing things that have existed to still believe that they're a reality and dictate to me how I view life is still very much a present reality for me. And I think that that's something that I'm slowly unlearning and relearning as, as we go through life. And you'll probably find that all of you are in that, on that particular journey, depending, it'll all be different things, but a similar sort of process. Um, now recently, just the last two weeks, um, I've had a, a very specific issue where I've really struggled with insomnia. Um, insomnia to a degree where, I mean, zero sleep nearly for two weeks now. Um, and there's many reasons, again, why that's happened. But one thing I noticed, even after meeting with, um, with my mum this week, and we talked about it, I talk about practicing and habit, is that the issue was no longer that I wasn't sleeping. The issue was that my focus was on not sleeping, and therefore, in turn, I didn't sleep. Yeah. Does that make sense? So the problem actually became the helplessness that I had learned that when I would get in bed, I would tell myself, you don't sleep anymore. And within two weeks, I had already practiced the belief that ultimately that was going to be my lived reality. Two weeks, right? Now, you know, we talk about how habits are far easier to create than they are to break. I'm not sure whether I believe that, actually. Um, that's what we're told. Um, but even with regards to, and again, I'm, I'm just being honest because I think it's sometimes important so you can see how it practically applies to my life. Even with regards to the situation over the last three years and all the implications that that's had, and it's had, it's had an impact on everybody's life, I think more than we think, actually. 
Um, you know, the, the fear of, of, um, of not having my, the ability to make my own choices, the fear of, you know, difference between freedom and, you know, is my job going to be safe? And, you know, there's been so many different impacts that have been caused. That is more of an external thing. And you can then start to believe that you are powerless, that everything is completely out of your control, and that at any point in time, a decision that can be made can completely destroy or impact where you are now. On one side, you could say, yes, there are things that are out of your control. But then I think back to, you know, I can't remember the exact specific things, but the stories of people who are in the concentration camps who said, you can do this to me, but I'm still free in me, you know, I can still decide to die free because you can never take this part of me. Um, so I, ho I hope that makes sense on a, on a personal journey. Um, now, as you're listening to me talk about these specific things, it may be worth asking yourself, what's the learned helplessness that you have in your life? What have you learned to feel helpless about? Certain aspects of your existence where you think, this is how it's always been, there is nothing that I can do to ever change this. And a bit like the dogs that we saw, you don't even bother jumping over the other side, even though it's very readily available for you to jump like the other dogs, you just stay in your current position and allow it to be as it's always been. Now, I looked a little bit further into this and the studies surrounding this particular matter concluded that learned helplessness causes three deficits. If you're taking notes, you might want to write these down because I think they're quite interesting. Cognitive deficit. This is the first one. This is that our mind holds that our circumstances are uncontrollable. So cognitive being the mind, it holds the position that every circumstance, whether it be your own or caused by other people, is completely out of your control. Number two was motivational deficit. Now motivational deficit is our lack of response to the potential methods that will, that will free us from our negative situation. So again, you saw that there were ways out for the dogs, but they had become so accustomed to the way that they thought that basically they no longer responded to the methods that could free them. And then number three was emotional deficit. Now, emotional deficit is when, and this is really where I think Claire was saying how anxiety can lead you to a certain point where it no longer becomes a rational thing that's trying to assist you in making choices, but it can basically lead you to a depressed state. And we see some of the extreme cases, right, which is what you were referring to. We enter where we feel we have literally no control over our beliefs, our thought processes, our life, the world that we live in. And the thing is, these these do happen. This is a very real thing. Some of you may feel that you've got to that point where you are so emotionally, so emotionally dead and so emotionally drained that you no longer have the power within you to change your reality, which, you know, I want hopefully to give you some key points of how we can change that. <clears throat> now, learned helplessness stems from a very pessimistic view of life. And this is why I found it interesting that Jenny would talk about uh, being pessimistic and optimistic. Um, and I don't know whether you remember, I'll refer you back to the three Ps that we've that Anth uh, spoke on and we've also referred to many times, you know, it was a very significant talk. Pervasive, personal and permanent. And a bit like what I was telling you about myself earlier is that those thoughts then start to permeate every aspect of our life and we're no longer... Actually, what Claire had said was really spot on about that that experience doesn't actually exist anymore you can only make it a reality by bringing it into your present thought processes. And isn't that quite scary to think that 
things that aren't even existing now, we only, they only seem real because we actually bring them into the now feeling of our life and make them ultimately a reality that we continue perpetuating. So I would like to add here that, there is, that no one is suggesting that the reason you feel the way you do isn't justified. Um, you know, sometimes we can almost brush them off as being like a suggestion that the truth of the matter is those dogs were getting electrocuted. It was a very real feeling. You know, it was, it was a reality. Um, and there are many concerns and circumstances and situations that you may have faced that have pushed you um, to feel and believe things that you do. Um, and all of us, to some degree, become um, a manifestation, a result of our life's experiences and the journey that we've walked. You know, even looking back to what we walked with Q, um, you know, the reason why we believed and thought what we thought was because of hand-me-downs from previous generations. And a lot of the time, we didn't even question whether they were valid or useful anymore. It was more that that's just what we were told, and therefore that's what we'll do, even if it wasn't working for us. <clears throat> the question is, and, and I, got, I got a message from mum this week that was really spot on because it said, are we, are we happy staying where we are, or are we willing to unlearn unlearn the things Q has been a matter of unlearning right deconstruction is the unlearning process however I think one of the problems with deconstruction can be and I remember us talking about this we've got a rubble now go rebuild the wall you know the story of was it Jer Jericho is that right um, that it was the rebuilding thing well why did we then rebuild if we've deconstructed because are we not then just building another fort um you do, but you do then have to learn something else because, and I think this has been one of the potential problems, if you unlearn something and don't learn a new skill, you are left almost mentally and emotionally devoid of any purpose or reason. And our life is based on learning and understanding and grasping and gaining new knowledge of how like I was saying, to get, gain new skills of how to deal with our life. So some of you may find the struggle for, of, with Q has been we've deconstructed to such a degree, however, we have also constructed and learned new concepts about the gospel. However, some of you maybe just haven't quite got to that point where you've learned that and are still living in that old covenant mentality that we've, we've spoken for so many years about. Now, the Israelites are a great example of learned helplessness. I laugh here because it always seems that the Israelites are a great example for everything. <laughs> I always seem to bring it into a talk. The Israelites can be used as an example. The Israelites this, the Exodus this. Now, they were bearing the horrific burdens and saw no way out. Was it, was it a justified feeling? Yes, they were slaves. They accepted it and lived, lived under its burden and weight. Um, did you know most power structures are only held up by the lie that we are powerless? Now, whether that be the power structures of your mind or the actual physical power structures of, of, of politics or government or whatever, um, one of the reasons why they can become what they become, personal or societal, is because the individual believes that they are powerless and have no ability within their own rights. You only need to, again, look at recent times to see this occurring. However, um, you actually have more power than you think over both your own life and over... This is why, like, when Jordan Peterson says, if you first make your bed, learn how to make your bed, you can then start to think about changing the world. Now, it's interesting, because at this point, I thought of the film Ants. 
Can you remember the clip about, you know, one puny ant? You know, and like one puny ant can do nothing. And then he opens the thing and the, all the, um, the nuts fall out. And he says, yes, but if everyone stands up, basically that's when you get your revolution. And it's the same. Once you stand up and learn a new idea and a new thought that says you do have control over the way you think and feel about your existence, that's where the revolution begins, right? Now, when the Israelites were delivered, ironically, they resist because they had become blind to the possibilities beyond their slavery. Like you said, optimism had completely disappeared. They were so used to their way of life. They had learned that the burden that they lived under was just normal, and that's how they were going to live. Now, whilst they had been freed from slavery, the slavery continued to exist within their minds as a pervasive, personal, and permanent reality. Now, the most powerful antidote to learned helplessness is, and I'm going to use these words before optimistic because I think it's important, is realistic and rational optimism, Yay. right? Yeah. And I use those words. They're two of my favorite words at the minute is realistic and rational, rational particularly, because what that means is you assess the situation and you look at what's realistic, what can be done, what can't be done, and therefore you make choices with that in mind. If you can learn you are helpless and a lot of people don't believe this, if you can learn you are helpless, you can also learn you are not helpless. Yeah. Yeah. Hear me. <laughs> if you can learn you are helpless, you can also learn you are not helpless. You can also learn optimism, right? Again, like what Jenny was saying, we, we hear the words pessimism and optimism as just like free-floating ideas. Again, they're things you learn. You learn pessimism by experience. You learn optimism by experience. Um, now, in any situation, ask, one, is this going to last forever, permanent, or is it temporary? I would suggest that everything's temporary, everything, right? <laughs> Danny said this in his song last week. This too shall pass. That's been in my mind this, this week. You know the term, this too shall pass. Sometimes it can also almost be a bit insulting when someone's going through something and someone looks at you and goes, but this too shall pass, when actually it really is a message of hope, you know, this too shall pass because nothing's permanent. Yeah. Will this pervade every aspect of my life or am I, because of my attention to it, feeding it and allow it to permeate my very existence? That's what I said earlier about practicing a thought. Number three, is it my fault? Kind of doesn't really matter if it is or not. Or is it the result of others? You could say one's in your control and one isn't. Either way, one must hold an accurate and again, rational perspective without judgment, allowing us to move forward rather than descend further into helplessness. Now, habits are simply beliefs that have gained momentum and now occupy the main space of our thought processes. Hear that? Habits are beliefs that have gained momentum. They are and have become the object of your attention and therefore we continue to practice these thoughts, processes and it remains our continued experience. Hence, if you are trying to quit smoking, anybody in here? If you are trying to quit smoking, the worst thing you can do is talk about quitting smoking. Any good therapist would say, if someone sits in front of you, you know, Therapist, I want to quit smoking. Right, let's talk about your smoking habit. Okay, all you're now doing is reminding me that I want a cigarette. Yeah. 
do you hear? And I'm using that as an example because it's a very real habit. It can be applied to anything. What do we do? When someone says, this is my habitual thought process, we start telling them all about that issue. So then they start hearing the issue and they start practicing the very thing that they want to, to get rid of, which becomes just a vicious cycle. You have to learn something absolutely new to counteract your current position. Now, learned helplessness can be burdensome, like I said about the Israelites. My struggle with insomnia this last few weeks hasn't been pleasant at all, but the helplessness I felt was much more unpleasant. That was deeper. And when I sat and had a long conversation this week, you can kind of resolve the feeling of what not sleeping is going to create. You know what it's like when you're jet lagged or, you know, natural feeling. However, the belief that it's never going to change, the level of hopelessness that that can bring with it becomes a whole other baby in its own right, you know, and, and that, that's where the struggle then and the wrestle becomes. And that's where it starts to feel heavy. Yeah. Now, why am I saying these things? <clears throat> why do you think Jesus said... Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Remember, Jesus showed up in a very specific time where the people who he was dealing with had learned to accept that things were as they are, yeah, they had a wrathful, vengeful God that sought penance from everybody. That ultimately, and I love, I'd, I'd said this on the, on the chat when we were talking this week, when Jesus was healing people, remember, he first said, I first forgive your sin. Now take your mat and be healed. Why? Because the disease wasn't that of the physical ailment. The disease was one of the mind. And what he was saying was that the issue that we're seeing here of disease the physical part will probably be fixed if you deal with the helplessness that you feel within that tells you there is no other way that your life can be. And I think that's very, very powerful. Take my yoke upon you, my burden is light. Jesus' objective was to get the people to unlearn their faulty images of God. Some of you need to unlearn your faulty images of yourself and the world around you because it's not doing you any favours at all. And I speak to myself there. Peace I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled and let them not be afraid. All things are working together for your good. Never worry about anything, but let the peace of God transform your heart and mind. I said this recently, the Bible now makes more sense to me than ever. And I stand by that. I think it's the most phenomenal, fabulous piece of literature. I think it explores the wrestle between God and man. I think it shows you the principles of the mind, emotion, beliefs, um, the struggles of self, spirituality. All of that is showing you what man has struggled with really since the dawn of time. Sadly, it was hijacked, which we've talked about a lot. But all I would say is when you change your perspective of who God is, when you read something even the way that it comes, I mean, I just read those, there's just a few scriptures there, but they become very meditative and they really calm the soul and the spirit. And I think it's, for some of you, you may want to go back and just read it. Now we've got this newfound revelation of who God really is, right? So in closing today, I hope this has made some sense and been clear for you. Um, I want to end with this. Two little paragraphs. 
God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The last line is a very powerful line. The wisdom to know the difference. And finally, everything is temporary. Emotions, thoughts, people, scenery. Don't become so attached. Just flow with it. And I'll close there. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest.